Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. Hi, Dr. Cubitt. Hi, Katie. How are you doing today? I am excited to be here again. Me too. Um, I uh, Before we get started, our, our topic today, of course, we're going to be discussing the importance of forage and hay for horses, but I wanted to, to chat with you a little bit about, do you happen to have dogs? I'm just curious. I do. I have one dog, an Australian Shepherd. Oh, what is your dog's name? His name is Rock. Rock. How old is he? Mm-hmm. Rock is coming. Well, he's actually about two, two and a quarter. Oh, so he's still pretty young. He's just a baby. Is he good with the mm-hmm. boys? He is fantastic with the kids and he's fantastic with any kids that come over that aren't that familiar with dogs. Um, he'll get up in their face for a few minutes and then he'll just lay down at oh, their feet. Oh, that's so nice. I We have a couple of dogs. They... Um, Cinch, he actually, I think, just turned 10 this year. So he's getting up there. And June, uh, she is, I think, about six. And um, I was just thinking about this because they have been out lately. Our canal water got shut off probably mid-October. And so when all that water runs out, the dogs are, uh, they've develop this habit. They know that there are fish that are in there because, you know, the water's dwindled down. There's not very much water in the canals and they'll go and they'll go find fish. And the worst part about it is they bring it up to our lawn and then they'll just have a little snack. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Where is it that you're living where there's canals with fish in canals? Well, you know, if people come along and they fish all the time around here. Um, but we, and we haven't really fished cause we're like, Oh, there's not really fish there. Like, I don't feel like it would be worth it, but, um, we found one in the lawn the other day. It was a little over 20 inches. It was a trout. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, okay I see you. <laughs> yeah. So that was super interesting. Anyway, I was just thinking about that the other day and I was like, well, and then they cut, co- well, then they come in the house and then they have their fish breath and I'm just like, Ugh. Okay. Okay. Now, (laughs) but they're, they're fishing dogs. Apparently they like to go catch themselves bringing you dinner. What's that? And they will, they are bringing you dinner and they will be disappointed if you don't eat it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So anyway, that's been a bit delightful. They're still finding fish too. I'm just like, and I just, yeah, it's fun. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so we should probably get into today's topic. Like I mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking about the importance of forage for horses, why it's so crucial for them. Um, the digestive system of a horse, it's fairly unique, right? So they're monogastric. So they have one compartment stomachs, um, unlike, you know, our ruminants that have four compartments, such as cattle, sheep, goats, deer, animals like that. And then even our camelids that are three compartments. So like llamas, alpacas, and uh, camels, of course, and then our horses, but they're a little bit even more so different than some of our other monogastric animals, like even dogs. So they can't regurgitate their food 
um, which many horse owners know the, how like, I guess, scary that can be, um, because food can come down, but it can't come up. So talk to us a little bit about horses and their uniqueness in that perspective. So I think that the big difference between horses and other monogastrics is a dog or a cat doesn't really have that hindgut where they're going to digest a lot of fiber, whereas a horse has the the majority of their digestive capacity is actually in the latter part of their digestive system. We call that the hindgut. It's about 65% of the digestive capacity, and it's designed to digest fiber. And the foregut, which is made up of the stomach and the small intestine, really only digests about 35% of their digestive capacity is there. And yes, it's a simple stomach um, that starts the breakdown of food and then the small intestine, we've got some absorption, but most occurs in the hindgut of the horse. And so it's really, it's not that it's crucial, it's it's just the it's really the only thing that horses are meant to eat is fiber. Now we ask them to eat a whole lot of other things because we expect them to do other things, but in the wild that's all horses eat is different types of fibers. Right. And so the fiber any of the forage that they get from pasture or hay that we feed them, that is all digested in the hindgut, whereas Correct. grains uh concentrates things like that are in the foregut, right? They, the grain should be digested in the small intestine. Mm-hmm. And where we run into problems is if we feed too much grain or we feed unprocessed grain, then it's going to flow into the hindgut where it's all microbial digestion. And they're going to have a field day and we'll get excess gas and excess acid production. And that is where we have gas colic mm-hmm. and other types of colic. So we want to make sure that that is processed in a manner that it's fed. It's utilized in the small intestine intestine mm-hmm. and all the fiber is digested in the hindgut. Do you like to recommend that uh, horse owners feed any like particular order, either grain first or hay first, or does it matter? You know, there have been a lot of studies looking at the order in which you feed horses. And really what I have come down to is if you have a horse that tends to eat their their grain really quickly, whether it be a textured or a pelleted grain, mm-hmm. then I always think when you go into the barn, throw out your hay, throw the hay into the stall. That's going to settle them a little bit. Then you go into the feed room and you get all the feeds out and then you walk down the barn aisle and you slowly give everybody their feed. So by giving the hay first, it can take their mind off some of that tension, that anticipation, so that when they get their grain, they're not just going to really dive into it and run the risk of choking. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So how long does it take about um, for forage to completely pass through a digestive system and even grain for that matter? Well, when it comes to grains, it's very variable, but really with fiber and again with fiber, it's variable as well. But if we think about a first cutting, um, quite stemmy local hay, for example, grass hay, that may take up to 65 hours to pass through the whole digestive system. Um, but if it's a little more digestible, maybe a second cutting um, orchard or something that's got a lot less of those non-digestible fibers in it, then it may be only 45 hours. And then grains can 
go through the digestive system much quicker. The part of the digestive system that takes the longest to get through is the hindgut. And it's mainly, it's just the breakdown of that fiber. So the easier it is to break down that fiber, the faster it's going to go. One really important note, and I know that we're focusing on forage in the hindgut though, is it only takes as little as 30 minutes for hay or grain to pass through the stomach. So from the last mouthful of food your horse takes, 30 minutes later, it might be completely out of the stomach. So the stomach is where we're going to see those gastric ulcers occurring. Right. Okay. So then when you're talking about um, the time that it takes for forage um, to pass through the digestive system, um, I think that also got me thinking a little bit about how um, when people go out to, you know, public lands like national forest lands or anything like that, whether they're just going trail riding or maybe they're doing like guided hunting and things like that and they have their horses that they have to take out there and it's required that certified hay is packed in. But they also say a few days prior that you should be feeding that hay because obviously, you know, whatever hay you're feeding the horse, it's going to take a certain amount of time for it to pass through the horse's digestive system. And then, of course, comes out the back end. Um, And so it kind of defeats the purpose if you just are feeding it, um, you know, right when you get out to the trailhead or whatever. Um, I would say that people should, for three to four days prior, make sure that the horse was eating that certified weed-free product because you're correct. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it can take up to 65 hours for it to pass through the digestive system, give yourself a little buffer um, so that they're not, you know, defecating that those weed seeds into those lands. Okay. And then also um, kind of like somewhat related in the fact of, you know, the time it takes for food to work through the digestive system. Um, I know that you and Dr. Duren have talked about the importance of making sure that horses have really good hay and forage is, you know, especially in the winter, because like, that's what helps to keep them warm with the breakdown and the digestion of fiber in the digestive system. Um, so like on really cold or windy days when you're having to feed a little bit more. And so I've, I've heard you guys talk about how it's also important maybe like a few days before to, um, to kind of bump up their feet. If you hear in the weather that there's going to be a storm front coming in or anything like that. Yes. So, you know, when those microbes that live in the hindgut, in the cecum, large colon and small colon, Mm -hmm. um, as they're breaking down fiber, one of the byproducts is that they create heat. And that utilizes a little bit of energy, but the horse would have had to eat more anyway to create that energy. So it it helps keep them warm. But let's think about um, it's it's 32 degrees out and it's windy, Mm -hmm. so 10 to 15 mile an hour winds, that alone, those environmental conditions alone will increase your horse's hay requirement per day by about four to eight pounds. So let's say he's eating one and a half to 2% of his body weight now, which would be for a thousand pound horse, 15 to 20 pounds of hay already, you're going to add another four to eight pounds on top of that. If it's 32 degrees, but it's just raining, you're going to add about six pounds a day of hay, 32 degrees, and it's cold, raining, and windy, you're looking at adding another 10 to 14 pounds of hay per day in order for them to stay warm. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like um, our weather today, actually. It's <laughs> right around 30 degree mark, and I think we have about 16 mile per hour wind, so it's it's feeling a little chilly out there. <laughs> 
And for those of you that are listening to this podcast after the fact and it's the summer, remember, it will get cold again. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So you were talking a little earlier about, um, you know, we feed horses different things now because of the different things that we have them doing. Um, If horses could be out on pasture 24-7, how many hours would they actually graze for if you let them? If you totaled it all up, and and again, they've done studies and they've monitored horses in the wild um, with ad-lib grazing, and horses won't stop grazing for more than a two-hour window. Um, But in total, if you add it all up, they'll graze for about 17 hours out of the day. Out of that 24-hour period, they're going to graze for about 17 hours. That's quite a bit of time, especially yep. especially if you think about um, any horses that maybe don't have access to pasture and maybe they're in a stall or you know paddock or something like that. So that's quite a bit of time. I mean, and I'm, sh- I'm sure that they would consume their hay very quickly in in terms of you know not being able to to have hay for themselves throughout the day how do you how would horse owners be able to kind of extend that time it would take for a horse that doesn't have access to pasture to you know keep eating and keep their digestive system working like that so this is this is the ongoing problem for horse owners that don't have access to you know pasture uh, any time of the year is that our goal is to try and mimic that grazing behavior. So I've got a general rule that I don't want horses to go without something to chew on for more than four hours, because we know that at about six hours, we'll start to see of, of no hay consumption. We'll start to see reddening of the stomach lining, which means that we're getting a little inflammation there because the acid is built up. So if you at work and you're only able to get out to your horses twice a day to offer them hay, if you've got an outside area that you can put hay, then maybe you're using the slow feed hay nets. Maybe you're getting in a good quality round bale and putting it in a hay hut. The problem with a round bale is you've got to have enough horses eating it to make sure that it's getting consumed or you have to put it in one of those fancy little contraptions so that it's not getting rained on. Um, but it, yeah, it, it definitely becomes very challenging for people to try and make sure that their horses are chewing on something um, for the majority of the day. And you have to utilize your ingenuity to see what works best for your particular facility. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit of an extreme question in the sense that, you know, probably nobody is going to feed only grain or anything like that. But can a horse live on forage or hay alone and then vice versa? Can they live on grain alone? So I'll start with can a horse live on forage or hay alone? 100% because that's what they did in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, horses don't by nature eat grain and their digestive system isn't really built built to eat large quantities of grain. That being said, horses in the wild only live to lower about 10, maybe 12. They certainly didn't jump do dressage, run barrels, all of the things that we do with them. They weren't stressed by being put in stalls or trailered. Or um, They're also much lighter in condition, the wild horses, than the way we keep horses. So yes, they can live on forage, um, pasture, hay alone. Now, because of all the extras that we do with horses, we know that hay and pasture alone isn't necessarily going to give them all the vitamins and minerals they need. So you need to supplement those horses with at least a ration balancing pellet 
Part two, can a horse live on grain alone? Grain in the true definition of cereal grains like corn, oats, barley, no. No, your horse cannot live on grain alone because they're not going to get the fiber content that they need. You'll end up seeing a, a kind of cessation of the hindgut. It'll slow down and it'll, all those bacteria will so, slowly die um, because they're not being fed and it will be uh, generally just a nightmare. Now, we do have older horses that cannot chew long stem hay. Right. So we have them on a pelleted forage so that we can wet it and they can consume it, but it's still fiber. Right. So they're still getting that 20 pounds of fiber a day. It's just in a physical form that they can consume. But no, a horse cannot live on cereal grain alone without any fiber source. Right. So even like a forage pellet, even though it's ground down pretty small compared to obviously your long stem forage it is still being digested in the hindgut, which is exactly what Absolutely. the horse Fiber needs. is yeah. still being digested in the hindgut, yes. Now, the difference in just general consumption of long-stem hay versus uh, ground-down fiber into a pellet is that horses will consume the pelleted forage much quicker. Right. So then it plays into the, wow, you know, I've got 17 hours out of the day that I'm trying to fill this, I'm trying to get this horse to chew on something and I'm feeding him 20 pounds of pelleted forage and he's eating that in six hours. Right. What am I going to do for the other 11 hours? And we know the chewing hay just takes a lot longer. Longer. Right. It gives them something to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's all about kind of finding that balance, that right balance. I know it can be challenging, especially if you have multiple horses that you're feeding at a time that have, you know, different needs. So if you have a senior horse that does need, you know, pelleted forage, and then you have a younger horse that does just fine on long stem, trying to, to find out how to balance it all. Yes, it can be challenging. So how much, and there's some of these things that we're going to be talking about on um, different episodes. It's, it's all so related um, and connected. So, you know, occasionally we're going to be bringing some things up that we've talked about in a different episode. Um, So if you've missed out on previous episodes, you haven't had a chance to listen in or, um, you just are playing catch up or anything like that. Uh, sometimes things are going to be a, a bit repeated, but it's all related and it's always good to have some reminders. So going to the next question, how much hay does a horse actually need? Um, can we, can we feed them by just throwing in a few flakes? Um, and then I do have a follow-up question after you get into that. Okay. So the general rule of thumb is it's a based on a percentage of your horse's body weight. So you need to have a good idea of how much your horse weighs. Um, you can use a weight tape and you can estimate, um, a better idea is to at least once a year, try and get your horses across a decent scale, livestock scale that might be at your veterinarian's office. Your vet might have a portable scale, but knowing how much your horse weighs is very, very important. Then we're going to back calculate and we're going to say a bare minimum of one and a half percent of that horse's body weight, but we're aiming more for uh, 2% of their body weight. So Let's go with the 2% of a 1,000-pound horse. That's at least 20 pounds of hay per day. Now, okay, we've got the number in our head of how much. Well, I guess the flake is 5 pounds. I want people to go invest in a luggage scale. I mean, you can go, I'm sure you can go on any online store or you can go to your local um, department store, and um, hardware store and get 
a one of those scales that you're going to hang from the ceiling of your barn or your tack room, and it's going to have a hook on it. And then get a muck tub and hang one handle of the muck tub on the hook and then put the flake of hay in the muck tub. And I want you to get a good idea for how much it actually weighs and what it looks like in that muck tub, because I guarantee most people underestimate, uh, or I should say overestimate how much their hay weighs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I find that people just aren't feeding enough. Oh yeah. And then also doing that when you're putting it on there, you got to take into account the the tub or the bucket that you're weighing, that you're not counting that oh, in yeah. the weight. So make yes. sure you zero mm-hmm. that out, at least in your head before you figure out the, how much that, uh, hay, hay weighs. Um, yes. Cause you, you always talk about the importance of feeding by weight versus volume. I, I, I know how, I know how this is just like growing up. You're just so used to, you know, getting a scoop of feed or just throwing out some flakes and it's just, it's easy. It's convenient. Um, but you know, certain horses, especially, I mean, especially if you're dealing with like an overweight horse or maybe an underweight horse, you really want to make sure that you're getting them the right amount of forage that they need. Um, or, you know, grain for that matter too, to be weighing that out, um, so they have what they need. I think a good analogy that I have, you know, anyone, especially those that are teaching the younger generation about horse feeding, here's a good exercise. Take your water bucket, take take two water buckets outside and fill one with rocks and fill the other one with leaves and now pick them both up. They're completely different, even though the volume is the same. One could say, how much are you feeding? Well, I'm feeding a bucket full. Well, by weight, the bucket full of rocks is significantly heavier than the bucket full of leaves. Right. And everything you feed your horse is based on weight. We're never going to give you, whether it be a supplement or a hay or a grain, we're never going to say feed one scoop. Right. That scoop is always going to have a weight attached to it. Right. It's like that tricky question that they like to throw at you about what weighs more, a pound of rocks or a pound of feathers. And everybody, no, it's exactly people the have a tendency same. to be like, oh, rocks, of course. Like, if well, I changed if it think to about that. what weighs more, a quart of rocks or a quart of feathers, then it would be, ooh, it would obviously be right. rocks. Right. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. So my follow-up question, and I've seen this from a lot of horse owners that maybe if they're not familiar with like alternative types of, uh, hay. Um, so maybe if they've only fed like local, you know, hay bales or something like that, but then they see at their local farm and ranch retailer, um, pelleted forage or cube forage or, you know, things like that. So sometimes that can be confusing for people who maybe haven't, who haven't been introduced to those other types of feed before. Um, you know, they'll have their normal amount, whether it be like 15, 20 pounds of hay that they feed their horse a day. Um, but they, you know, they also are feeding them grain, whatever that they have in their feed program. But if they're wanting to introduce, like, let's say that they wanted to, to get some quality, uh, like forage pellets, but they use it kind of like to supplement their diet, they almost see that as something that's outside of their hay. Um, and so it's confusing to them. They think that's like another uh, part of the diet when in fact, it kind of 
is is totaled with the hay itself. Um, so if you're going to be feeding like, you know that you want to feed 20 pounds of hay a day to your horse. Um, and let's say that you're deciding to do 15 pounds of that in long stem hay. Um, you know, it's not like you would do 20 pounds plus that five pounds of pellets, you would, you know, take away five pounds. And that is inclusive with the hay that you're providing in that diet. Is that right? Yes, yes. So if 20 pounds is what you're aiming yeah, for, 20 total, pounds total, then you would be doing 15 pounds of your long stem hay, which is potentially a local grass hay and not as high in protein or calories. And you're really trying to boost the quality of that hay. Then yeah, you're going to sub in five pounds of a better quality fiber. And it just so happens that you're buying it in a pelleted form because it's more convenient for right. you. Um you know, the convenience of uh, buying bagged forage, bagged pellets or cubes is that it's easier, easier to store, it's easier to transport, there's less waste, um, and you, it's much more consistent because bag to bag, you know, these bags are going to have a guaranteed analysis tag stuck on them. And that's a legal document. So um, those values have got to be adhered to every time. Right. And are there nutrient differences between, you know, the different formats of forage, whether you're looking at pellets or chopped or cubed or long stem? No, they're, the the nutrients are all the same. If I take a bale of hay, of alfalfa hay, and I send it off for an analysis, and I get that analysis back, and it's 16% protein, and it's 1.2 megacals of energy, and it's got X amount of lysine, then if I run it through the chopper, and I make chopped forage, or what we like to call in Australia, chaff, mm -hmm. and I send that off to the lab to analyze, it's going to come back exactly the same, 16% protein, uh, one point whatever megacals of energy. And then if I grind that chopped forage up a little further, and then I mix it with some steam and squish it through a pellet die and send that off, it's going to have, again, exactly the same analysis and the same as if I squeezed it into a cube. The only time that it's going to have a slightly different analysis is if that cube or pellet come has a bit of a binder in it mm -hmm. to make the pellets stick mm -hmm. together. Um, and sometimes chopped forage has some oil sprayed on it to keep the dust down. So they would obviously change the nutritive value, but no, if you, in general, uh, it's exactly the same and digestibility wise, it's again, exactly the same. Now it changes the physical form. Right. So again, that older horse with poor teeth can actually consume a pelleted forage versus a long stem hay. They just can't get it down their throat, but digestibility wise, it's the same. Right. Cause they're not able to grind it down with their teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the differences between a horse that is consuming pasture forage and then dry hay? So, and that could be pellets, cubes, or chops. So I'm thinking about like when they're out in the pasture, especially like, you know, in the summer and there's a lot more moisture that's in, uh, that versus dry hay. Um, in how the does pasture, that impact the biggest the difference? Yeah. yeah. The biggest difference is that pasture is 80% moisture and about 20% dry matter. So when I'm giving you values of, I need your horse to eat 1.5% of their body weight or 2% of their body weight, that's actual dry forage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, hay is anywhere from, you know, about 
95 to 99% dry matter. So there's very little moisture in hay Mm -hmm. because that's what, that's the preserving mechanism is that we, we dry all of the moisture out of it. Um, so you can rest pretty much if you're feeding 15 pounds of hay or 20 pounds of hay, you're meeting that, that dry matter fiber requirement. If your horse is eating pasture, they have to actually consume significantly more of that wet pasture to get that one and a half to 2% of their body weight in dry fiber. And the same thing occurs when we're feeding, if you may have seen any of these, um, there's bagged forage products that have moisture in them. They're slightly ensiled um, or fermented. And those products as well, they're full of moisture. So you have to feed a lot, much, much larger quantity of them because I'm looking for the horse to get one and a half to 2% of their body weight in dry forage. Mm-hmm. And so when horses are out there grazing 17 hours a day, that probably takes up that part of part of that reasoning why they're out there grazing for so long is because they are having to consume more. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. And so you also want to take into account that when you're transitioning a horse from the pasture to the stable setting, or, you know, we're transitioning through the seasons uh, where that grass is drying up and they're going to start eating more, more of that dry hay, that, that can some in some horses take a little while for their digestive system to adjust mm-hmm. to the decrease in moisture content, and that can actually cause impaction colic. So if you have a horse that suffers or struggles with that, you know, on those seasonal transitions, you might want to make sure that you're adding a wet portion of the diet. So maybe you're adding some wet beet pulp pellets or you're adding some some soaked um Timothy pellets or or alfalfa pellets, whatever, just to get some more moisture into the gut to compensate for the moisture that they're not getting out of the grass anymore. Mm -hmm. And it'll just help them with that impaction color. And that makes sense. So like when people are seeing that, it it could probably happen in the spring, but like going from summer pasture into if you get a really cold snap really quick or like snow just falls or whatever, and maybe they're not able to, to get underneath the snow and get it. And you're just baiting them. Hey, um, that's why that those times of years, we're kind of seeing more incidences of colic with horses than we would. Absolutely. And on the flip side in the spring, what you'll notice as the horses is transitioning from eating a lot of dry forage to starting to get out onto that green pasture again mm-hmm. is the pastures, especially in the spring, very high in moisture content. So as the digestive system adjusts, you might see your horse having a little bit of loose manure mm. um, or even diarrhea as they their gut adjust. Now, as long as it's not chronic and doesn't last a long time, it's usually transient. But always when a horse has diarrhea, make sure they're drinking plenty of water because any moisture that is going out is not being absorbed. Yeah. And then they'll get dehydrated. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, we have already talked about, you know, we know how important forage or hay is for horses just to make the, their digestive systems work appropriately. But what's the what specific nutrients do we find in forage or hay that is so important specifically for a horse's digestive system? Uh, I mean, all nutrients can be found in hay and pasture. You've got a lot of protein and depending on the type of hay that you're feeding, um, there might be high amounts of essential amino acids like lysine. If you're feeding a legume, um, 
going to be calcium and phosphorus and certain certain minerals. Everything that the horse requires is going to be in that hay. However, we know that the mineral content is not always high enough for our horses based on the soils that it's grown in and the extra energy and excess um demands that we put on these horses so we're always going to add extra minerals we know that also soils in most areas of the world are deficient in selenium so then the horse isn't going to get selenium right, out of the hay or right. pasture that it's eating yeah that's what i was wondering about because i know just depending on the certain areas that you live in and that's why you talked about earlier how it's good to include a ration balancer with uh when you're if you're feeding just hay yes right what happens if you feed your horse? Okay, we talked about this a little bit. If if somebody is maybe only able to get out because they work all day, um, they're only able to feed their horse twice a day. What happens if you feed your horse once a day or maybe twice a day? Or if they're given the opportunity for free, ch- free choice, what does that do specifically to the di- digestive system? Well, what we've seen in research settings is that The less meals the horse gets, so if we're feeding twice a day, we'll see a rise in stereotypic behaviors, chewing, weaving, aggression, because they're really anticipating you coming back again. Mm -hmm. If you can break that that same quantity of, of food and hay up into multiple meals a day, then it's coming to them more frequently and that stress of anticipation declines and between four and six meals a day, uh, we significantly decrease those stereotypic behaviors. Now, what I would suggest is if you can only get to your horse once a day and once a day you're providing him with a ration balancer, that would be a situation where I would make sure that you had a way of supplying hay more continually, whether you are buying square bales or large square bales and you're putting hay into a hay feeder um, that's got enough for the horse to just graze on throughout the day. I mean, you maybe you're using a round bale feeder and you're just putting a bunch of hay in it, or you're using a decent quality round bale that's covered. Um, they would That would be a situation where I would want your horse to just be able to graze um, and have ad lib access. And at first, sometimes people can get a little bit nervous about supplying hay ad lib. Oh, my horse will get really fat. Mm-hmm. But it, you'd be surprised. Horses learn to self-regulate because it's always there. So they might eat a quite a bit at the beginning, but then they'll realize, hmm, it's not going anywhere. Right. I can always know go back that it's to there. it and they'll just nibble away at it. Right. Which is, should be fine as long as they're not like real easy keepers or anything. Right. You will even find it with an easy keeper. They'll still yes. regulate. That's, that's interesting. Yes. So I guess that's just kind of a true, true testament to just knowing and understanding your own horse too. I mean, just like people, everybody kind of like, uh, especially when it comes to like nutrition, everything is different for everyone just with any horses as well as even though like a certain breed or type of horse might, you know, commonly be known as an easy keeper doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be. Um, it just could be though. So horses are just like people. Um, look at people, look at next time you're in a, a setting where there's multiple people, 
everybody is completely different. Right. Um, you know, whether it's hair color or skin or or digestive capacity, right. we all know somebody that could eat a whole pizza and still they stay thin, and another person that, that looks nice? at a pizza and <laughs> they're you know gaining fifteen pounds. And horses are the same. We've all had a horse that you feed and feed and feed, yeah. and he still looks like he's a racehorse. And another one that smells the feed room and is <laughs> gains ten pounds like or twenty pounds. Year blimp, so. <laughs> So yes, I I encourage people to always go with your gut, know your own horse, mm-hmm. um, and err on the side of feeding more fiber and more hay than less. Mm-hmm. That's good. What happens, and you've talked about this a little bit, especially if a horse is transitioning off of like fall pasture to getting more dry hay, Um, but what happens if you soak the hay? I had heard some horse owners kind of deliberating about it a little bit uh, about that soaking grain or other feed forage messes up the digestion process. So meaning a horse won't create enough saliva if it's not dry and that can cause ulcers. So talk I to me about that. I am not sure what kind of blog you were reading, but <laughs> I'm no all doubt over it was the on place, the Dr. interweb. Cuban, all the time. I'm always <laughs> reading. <laughs> You were reading something on the internet. Of course and the I internet, was. The Dr. Google said, um, and no, I mean, that's crazy. Think about wild horses. They're eating, they're eating grass and it's got moisture in it and they don't decrease their saliva production. Um, so I always recommend um, that when you're introducing a pellet, whether it be a pelleted forage or a pelleted feed or it's beet pulp, if your horse is naive to that ingredient, like they've, they haven't had pellets before or they haven't had them in a long time, always wet it because that is going to um, break it up a little and it's going to make it easier for them to chew. When it comes to hay, we know that horses that are sugar sensitive, sugar and starch sensitive, there are certain hays that we can soak them and then we can dump out the water and then we can feed the horse that hay and that will actually leach out the sugars. So it'll decrease the sugar content of that hay down to a level that is now appropriate for those horses and their their metabolic disorder. Um, it does leach out other nutrients as well. The other thing is if you have a horse that has respiratory disorders um, and inhaling dust and contaminants affects them, then you can just literally spray the hay down with water. You don't necessarily need to soak it, and that will decrease the, the dust. Um, there are also hay steaming machines that don't necessarily increase the digestibility of the product, but they will decrease the um the contaminants on that hay as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in re- reality, it, there's actually a lot of benefits. Um, if somebody was to soak their hay, that could help a horse. Um, yes, there's more benefit than I don't even know any detriment. Right. I mean, there are some horses that if you give them two water buckets, they're going to use one as their hay dunking water bucket. And yeah. horse owners <laughs> get so frustrated and say, what's wrong with my horse? And I was like, nothing. He just wants to dunk it. You know, some kids like it. to dip their Oreos in milk and others don't. Right. Or so. anything. They'll dunk anything. Exactly. It could be their sandwich. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be my child. Yes. <laughs> Katie and I both have young children. And so the joys of mealtime is always different. <laughs> 
keeps things lively, that's for sure. <laughs> as long as they eat it, you can dip it in whatever you want. <laughs> so, and I think that's also why it's important for people to work with their veterinarians and their nutritionists when it comes to, you know, their, what they feed their animals, their horses, or any livestock for that matter. Um, I know you probably know as well as I know Dr. Cubit and probably anyone listening that sometimes it can be so easy to just, you know, jump on any of our social media platforms and, um, you know, put out a question. Um, but sometimes I think we just need to be careful and be cautious with some of the feedback that we get, because that's one of those ones is um, sometimes you hear things that just don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and sometimes if, if maybe you're are new to everything you you don't know any better and so um working with your veterinarian or nutritionist i think can really help with that so we appreciate you Absolutely. being able to be here and, and be an expert for us and helping us to debunk stuff that we hear sometimes that comes through so there is always we're always going to have a job there's always something out there the newest thing the latest fad but as our listeners hear us more and more, they will come to realize that I try to always um, go back to what is the horse designed to do mm -hmm. and get our listeners to understand the basic digestive function of the horse and explain to them why I make certain recommendations versus just tell them, as I would with my children, because I said so. Right. So <laughs> you, our listeners are not my children. And so it's not because I said so. I'm going to yeah. try and explain it to you. Um, I'm going to be the good mom instead of the bad mom that just says, because I We're said so. We're not a bad mom. <laughs> we just need to sometimes. <laughs> no, but I actually. I know there's a lot of moms listening that know they've pulled out because I said oh, sometimes so. Sometimes you have to just to keep your sanity, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So last question that I want to hit you with is, are there certain types of hay that are more digestible than others? Um, I know earlier you were talking about first cutting versus second cutting. Um and how first cutting sometimes can tend to be more stemmy. I think it all depends on um, when it's cut and if it's cut at the right time. But talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, and I really should be a little more careful about downplaying first cutting as being less digestible because you're absolutely right. It really depends on when you get out there to harvest it. And there are some areas out of the, in the country like Idaho where a first cutting may actually be really digestible because it's been cut at exactly the right time because it never rains there. So you can harvest at exactly the right time because you're irrigating, et cetera. Out here in the East Coast where I am, it rains a lot in the spring. So typically that first cutting hay has gotten to be quite mature before it's been cut, before tractors can actually get out into the fields. Mm -hmm. um, and when a grass or a, a plant gets more and more mature, what's holding it up and stopping it from flopping over is these, um, these fibers, these structural fibers. And the more and more that the plant develops, the more of those that they develop that are non-digestible. So there's a particular fiber fraction that we can analyze for, and it's called lignin. Mm -hmm. And ling lignin is completely non-digestible. So the higher the lignin content of your forage product, the lower the digestibility. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the more, pretty much the more poop your horse is going to make, because it's just going to flow right through, um, the lower the lignin content, the more digestible it is. That doesn't mean that we should only select our haze on lignin content, because what we will find is there's a happy medium. And if you get a hay that's, or or if you're only feeding hays that are really low in lignin content, you're going to find your horse is going to start to chew chew trees and wood Mm. because they're craving some of that non-digestible fiber. So this goes back to what a horse is doing in the wild. They don't just eat one plant. They eat a variety of different fibers and a variety of different maturities to get a very balanced um, kind of plate of fibers in their diet. Mm -hmm. And aside from even talking about like the different cuttings, like let's say we're talking about um, hay that was cut right when it needed to be, whether it was a grass hay or a legume or anything for that matter. Are there any certain types of hay that maybe tend to have more lignin in them than others? Or is it just that's just yes and there are certain species so um your warm season grasses like your teff Mm -hmm. and your uh, bermuda grasses or your uh, are going to have more of those fibrous fractions in them naturally Mm -hmm. um and less capacity for storing energy or sugars and starches um then your timothy and orchard grass are just by nature going to have less of that lignin there's actually been some studies looking at a a form of a type of alfalfa that they're selecting for that's lower in lignin and seeing if horses prefer that more. Um, I think that the verdict is still out as far as whether it's better, especially for horses, it's probably going to play into dairy cattle feed, uh, feeding more than it will for horses. Because again, you know, there are hays that are ideal for production animals because we want to make sure that we're giving them every drop of calories and nutrients then that we can. Right. But the problem we fight with a lot of horses is that they actually can't have that much nutrients because they're all fat. Right. Um, well, and they're not so. production animals, so they don't. They're yeah, absolutely not production right, animals. Right. And there's really no standardized level of um, performance or production. If we look at a horse and say, okay, I can consider them a production animal if production is jumping ability mm-hmm. or speed on the racetrack. It's still so variable and there's so many other factors that go into it. Um, so it's, it's so difficult to measure success in horses. Right. Right. For me, the measure of success is, can I keep it healthy? Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. I think that's the most yeah. important thing we want our, we want our horses and any of our other livestock that we have for that matter, just making sure that they're, they're healthy. So, yeah. um, before we jump off, I actually, I, I'm looking out my window right now as we're having this discussion. And, um, I just had to let you know that I just saw my dog run across up towards our canal and they, he brought back a fish for me. <laughs> wow. I'm going to want to see a picture of this dog ca- catching a fish. I know it's, it's so funny. I'll have to, I'll have to share a, a picture of the fish sometime. That one fish that they brought up, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, eh, we should be fishing our canal more often, or at least the reservoir yeah, from where it's coming from. <laughs> but um, anyway, Dr. Cubit, thanks so much for uh, being on today for us to talk a little bit about why forage and fiber, most importantly, is is so important for horses and their digestive systems. Um, And I look forward to the next time that we get to chat again. 
I do too. It's always exciting to chat about anything to do with horses and very exciting to share it with all of our listeners. Awesome. Well, we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time, keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water. Thank you.